Good, then welcome to another episode of the King of Weighted Calisthenics Coaching Cues podcast. Maybe we need to shorten that title uh, somewhere in the future a bit. Um, today, small Q&A because we couldn't agree on a topic that fast. And I just started an Instagram Q&A and we have a couple of questions here. And um, I thought we'd just ask each other those questions one after another and uh, see if we can answer it. And I have the first one for you. Um, what's your abs routine, Lois? My what? <laughs> your abs routine. My abs routine. Yeah, so basically I'm not training abs. <laughs> But when it comes to uh, training abs, you don't have to train them directly. If you're doing compound movements like squats, deadlifts, Romanian deadlifts, where you need to stabilize your core. So doing plenty of repetitions on sit-ups won't really strengthen your core since your core is made to stabilize and not to endure. And therefore, my greatest advice when you're when I implement some Uh, core, uh, core exercises work on your core stability. This is the best uh, cue that I can give you, especially um, if you are into calisthenics. Uh, we've got some really good movements, such as the hollow body hold, for example, but also ab wheel rollouts are a good uh, possibility to train your abs. So there is uh, one exception I would like to throw in, and that is if you want to grow them. Sure, if you yeah. have a hypertrophy... Um, so if you want to have them like more in that 3D look popping out, then of course dynamic training is superior to uh, stability training. Yeah. Good, yeah, choose one. There are a couple, of, right. uh, a couple of them in. How important is bracing in weighted calisthenics? Mm, I would say definitely underrated, um, underrated skill. So it's it's very important um, because if you're not bracing, you are creating usually with pull-ups and dips like uh, horizontal movements. Because if you're stable in the core and you have a good vertical bar path that works in most of the cases way better with a loose core that tends to to be more likely to swing so um, good bracing increases performance by verticalizing um, the the weight path for weighted pulls um, weighted dips and uh, definitely for for muscle ups to pull in one stiff unit a good bracing is also key to performance with Scott also yeah it's it's important <laughs> it's very important <laughs> so I would say bracing is the most important and foremost thing that you need to learn if you really want to lift heavy and actually lift all the heavy lifts have this in common. safely heavy yeah. so if you really want to ensure that you don't get any problems with your lower back or with your hips um, then working on your bracing is definitely key to your success Okay, let's see if we have a tricky one. Mm. 
Can you scratch all of the areas on your back still? <laughs> I just read <laughs> that one. <laughs> I don't wanted to ask you. <laughs> so I think I am able to, but I've got pretty can good. You, can you uh, like I, I keep can, the, the hands touching? Yeah, I can do that. So as yeah. you can see here. <laughs> so I've got pretty good mobility and yeah. So yeah, we, we both can scratch every area of of our back uh, yeah i think so <laughs> so at least while while shampooing myself i feel that i'm uh, doing a good job yeah, all right <laughs> <laughs> so the next up all right difference between thumb around and thumb over grip for pull-ups Mm -hmm. So, um, like this grip or thumb around, like suicide grip style. For pull-ups, difference not too big. Um, probably just what you are started, what you started with, and um, what feels more stable for you. Um, the main advantage that I feel for thumb around is when you want to grip in a stable force grip. That feels easier for me if I can like really grab around. Um, but of course, this also works with a suicide grip. Um, we, in, in the King of Weighted Coaching, always teach our athletes to have the thumb around because it's easier um, to have the carryover to muscle-ups um, when you're used to this um, finger position. That's why we are using it. But in the end, I would say, um, if you're not have super tight and limited mobility then um both both uh grips all right i would uh, yeah. dig a little bit deeper into this one um since uh, with the semi false grip uh, that we're using with this deeper grip you have a much better force production in most cases but the thing is also you're going to stress your elbow flexors a lot so i mean it, but false grip also works with with um with thumb above yeah. not as good not as but, good but yeah. it also works yeah. Yeah. but it, i guess here the grip is really without the thumb uh, around the bar and really hanging like mm. this and not like with a false grip so if you're really experiencing elbow pain then the smarter decision is definitely to go for this kind of hook grip suicide grip because you're simply not flexing your forearm flexors as much and these can get tight quite easily and therefore contribute to your pain and most of the time also the lat feeling might be a little bit better in the thumb over the bar grip because you're isolate or you're taking out the forearm activation and you're mainly driving the force by your elbows and then since the lead is attached on the upper arm, you will feel the leads a tiny bit better. Then, how do you currently distribute your routines? I think it's meant over like a microcycle over a week. So currently, basically a split question. Um, yeah, when it comes to my training split, currently I'm using an upper lower rest upper rest full body split so i'm training four times per week with three rest days i've got one and a half lower body sessions and 
two and a half upper body sessions per week, uh, which means I'm training my pull and push main lifts on a frequency of three. This is what I'm actually playing around with and for the lower body exercises I'm having a frequency of two for the main lift and a little bit of assistance added on. But yeah, I'm training highly specific to increasing um, my strength in pull-ups, dips and the squat. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so. Exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. But um, there out there, there is no best split. The best split is the one that works for you. And we should make a, an episode about this because uh, I, I'm really ranting about that question. Like, what is the best split? We should, we're going to do a, a separate episode about it because the split is like usually a consequence of, of something else and not something that makes up a good program. Um, or not but yeah different story so next question is it bad to bring the legs forward a bit when doing heavy pull-ups mm, not at all um, that's a regular compensation mechanism that the, the body does to increase your performance on the top portion of the lift and uh, when we're looking at the lats coming somewhere here, attachment on the upper arm, going down the back and over some fascia connective tissue, it's attached to our hips. And if we're bringing the legs forward, we are kind of over the hips, stretching the lat, longer muscle, stronger muscle, meaning that you're just increasing the force potential on the upper portion of the lift. So for performance related pull-ups, a bit of this forward drive of the legs is definitely beneficial. If we're looking at movements where you want to have a high amount of peak contraction in your back, um, for whatever reasons, like there are several reasons where this can make sense, then you, uh, then you should avoid it. Uh, because then you're aiming for a high peak contraction. If you're letting the legs move forward, you're having everything but a good peak contraction. Oh. Yeah, sounds good to me. It's your turn again. You could think we are doing this for a living. <laughs> okay. Maybe we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I just refreshed it and uh, the newest question was best schedule for street lifters, which is in the end again the, the, best the split, split question. <laughs> so, so yeah, definitely. Um, definitely the most asked question um, that you read across the, the internet and yeah. we will do a whole we will do an session episode. on that one. Yeah. So I should ask you, um, now we have a question and that is, I need to translate it, it's a German question. Um, during the dip, the shoulders are always shrugging close to the ears and I think um, it was not a question but I think the question behind it is yeah. how can you avoid it? So. When the shoulders are shrugging up towards your ears during the downward phase of the dip, most of the time this is a lack of shoulder depression. So you're not stabilizing your shoulders properly. And when we are doing a dip or 
what we understand under a dip and we're always um, referring to this closed chest dip where we have our um, rib cage slightly tucked in, our shoulders uh, protracted and we have our shoulders on tension during the downward phase and when you do not have this closed chest position and you protract your scapula and of course depress it and you're in it like this here so very loose you definitely lose your shoulder stability on your way down and that's also why the shoulders tend to come up so what you should do to get rid of this is definitely working on your shoulder depression you can work with dip shrugs for example strengthening um, that muscles surrounding the scapulas that are responsible for depressing your shoulders and then of course practicing the dips with an appropriate form so if you lose your depression right away you're probably using too much weight mm. and you can't control it properly so you probably need to regress uh, work with a regression like bodyweight dips for example and really try so the, to the thing behind that again is basically load management so people often do not have a depression problem but a too much load on the belt problem. Um, of course, if you're starting with bodyweight dips and that happens, you need to accept that form breakdown to, to a certain degree because you just cannot change it. And then working with regressions um, makes a lot of sense because there you can control it. Um, I actually just wrote um, three pages about that topic today, so I'm pretty into it. Um, like what, what we see in the coaching is often two types of, of depression problems. The first one that Lois described, which is often a technical load management activation problem. So what you're doing about it is you're working with a reasonable weight, with a reasonable tempo in the mm. dip, um, with pre-activation exercises like dip shrugs, you're like really programming that movement pattern, activating it, making people aware of doing it. And then we have um, simple strength problems. And um, especially with the dip, um, when we are working with athletes that are coming more from the calisthenics area, it's in so many cases uh, just a two-week chest, um, as the chest is one of the main depressors. Can you say that in English? I'm not sure. Depressors in the dip. And um, in calisthenics, chest is not used that much. Um, so that's uh, a big problem. So then just taking your time, building up the chest um, is a huge asset for an athlete. And the same thing is just um, getting an athlete aware of natural scapular movements and all other lifts. Like if you start to work with a proper flow of elevation to depression in your pull-ups, chin-ups, mm. if you um, work with good form in push, like in all other movements that you're doing, if you're like really schooling the athletes and using proper scapular mechanics, then over like a really, really short time, this has a direct carryover, of course, also to, to the dips. So before integrating tons of assistance in, in the program, just think of doing what you're already doing with better quality 
is probably the first approach. And if that is not working because you really have activation issues, then we're starting with what you said, um, basically priming certain movement parts, um, isolating certain movement parts and uh, training that one. So, but in general, we can say that this scapula is the limiting factor for most people and why yeah. they are not progressing in their calisthenics lifts or skills. That's, yeah, because it's like, it really harms the, the weight you can put on, on the exactly. chain and everyone wants to move <laughs> a lot of weight. Um, and if you're not able to stabilize that area, you're so you're not going to do very long yeah, also. Exactly. <laughs> so when you really want to try to improve your performance, work on your scapular strength. Together with us, King of Weighted Coaching. Good. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. If you can sleep only six to seven hours and you progress your workouts, will you still build muscles? So I think, like, let's put the question different and ask how important is sleep for building muscle? I think that's easier so to answer in this context. Sleep is the most important thing. And sleep is power. That is actually one of the things that gets neglected uh, very, very often, especially the whole recovery part, which is most of the time even more important than the training by itself. So if we're taking elite athletes as an example, so people who train for their life because it's their job, most of them, they sleep around 9 to 12 hours to really maximize their performance. When was the last time you slept 12 hours? Monday. <laughs> but that was the first time in several months. And I immediately dropped a half kg of weight. So as you can see, it does wonders. And not just for uh, trying to lose weight, but also for gaining weight. Um, the more rest your body gets, uh, the more likely you're not stressed and stress is always a kind of uh, interference in your body, uh, whether that is mental stress or physical stress that will affect um, your body's processes in some kind of way and therefore also building muscle mass and losing weight will be way, way harder. So if you really want to step up on the next level, try to improve your sleep, that's the main yeah, thing that I would recommend to you. Yeah, nothing to add. Sleep is power. But it's also the hardest to maintain. Sure. Yeah. So, but building habits like going to sleep every day at the same time, I'm going to bed before midnight because we have the circadian rhythm, um, uh, or due to the circadian rhythm, it's recommended to go to bed earlier than um, before midnight. And having a good routine and constant sleep patterns throughout will already accelerate um, or improve your sleep. Nice. Then we have one last one. Uh, one last one. Uh, we have the last one for today. Here, that one just came in. Is it possible to build upper slash lower chest with weighted dips? So, yes. Of course, it is possible, but by far not optimal. 
So when we're looking at dips and the way that the weighted calisthenics athletes are doing dip, um, the chest works in a very, very limited range of motion. So we have from this neutral position to like, what is that 60 degree shoulder extension? And that is the range the chest is working. Um, so we have neither a good peak contraction nor a good stretch, which are two things that are highly related to good hypertrophy stimulus. So the dip and the way that we are doing it is in general not an optimal chest exercise. Does that mean your chest won't grow? No, it gets a stimulus, but it's, it's not optimal, of course, when we're looking at hypertrophy. Um, looking at the lower chest, the dip definitely has some, some, something to offer because the fibers are aligned pretty good with the movement. So um, probably lower chest can be worked pretty good if you're using a bit more stretch, if your shoulder can, uh, can handle it. Um, upper chest, like the chest always, of course, works in one unit. So also the upper chest gets a bit of stimulus. But when we're looking what the upper chest does, it's more like the, the like shoulder elevation, uh, not shoulder elevation, shoulder flexion, uh, like in front of the body, bringing the arm above the head. So from this part of range of motion to somewhere here or from the side. So um, yeah, work like overhead presses, incline bench presses, handstand push-up, pike push-ups variations. Those are uh, more superior when it comes to um, to building the upper chest with uh, calisthenics or, or weights training. So in general, try not to focus on the dip when you are aiming for uh, big titties. It can work for some, but um, from our experience working now with over 80 athletes, um, for the majority dips will not grow a big chest. So there are definitely better exercises out there to build a big chest. So because in the dip, you need to take into account that you have to stabilize your whole body in the setup. So whereas example, if you do a chest press where you're sitting on a bench and you press, you have a lot of external, rota uh, external stability and you can really focus on hitting the muscle and during the dip, you need to focus on way more other things. And therefore, the dip is not the best uh, exercise for chest hypertrophy or pec hypertrophy. Do you think uh, the community accept this? <laughs> Probably they not. They have to. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say we finish it here. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we forgot uh, the coaching pitch in our first episode. So uh, probably going to do that now. So if you are looking um, to improve not only your chest muscle, but your whole weighted calisthenics performance, um, your physique, skill work, so everything that is related to um, advanced calisthenics and weighted calisthenics, um, you should definitely check out our website kingofweighted-coaching.com. Schedule your free consulting call and yeah, then we will see how we with the entire team can help you to achieve peak performance. So hopefully see you in uh, the consulting call. See you in the next one.